Well, let's come to this good and gracious King and ask for his grace upon us as we gather around his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the songs that we can freely sing and the truths that are in them. We rejoice that you are our King, that you are the good and gracious King, and in Christ we are accepted. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you might send your Spirit to help us understand your word, because with all that we might say or think or do without your Spirit, applying it into our hearts and helping us to rejoice. Father, we pray that we might go away this day rejoicing afresh in your word, your written word and the word who became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Father, we need your help. We ask for your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A few years ago, Joyce and I went to uh, have a pleasant evening with the a friend in the next close in the um, place where we were living uh, and it was a summer evening and as we walked back home it was still light uh, and on the house just down the road we, we saw some little cakes and sandwiches and nibbles and we thought, said to one another oh look the children have had a little tea party and they've gone to bed and forgotten to um, pack it up. Uh, so that was fine, thought no more about it until the next day. We mentioned this to our friend and they said, oh no, those are offerings to the God. They're Hindus. More recently, we had a barbecue uh, and there were two barbecues. One for us and one which was reserved for halal meat. Children who study religious studies at school, school children might well go and visit uh, churches to see what goes on. They may well go and visit uh, a mosque or go and visit a temple, a Sikh temple or a Hindu temple. And at the end of a visit to the temple, they might be offered something to eat, a little cake, a little nice, nice little treat. We have a little treat, don't we? But for them, it's something that has been previously offered to the God and is available for visitors to eat as they take away. So the situation in Corinth may not be as quite as remote as we think. I don't know what you thought when you first heard, so about food offered to idols. Hmm. That's relevant, isn't it? Well, it might be more relevant than we realize. The question chapter 8 is beginning to address is, are believers free to eat food offers to idols, or aren't we? And being current, of course, there were lots of different debates about what was, what was right and what wasn't. Um, before we look at that, this relevance again, just develop it a bit more. It might be more obvious in Leicester, where those things happened, than it is in Cornwall. But look at it from another viewpoint. Visitors to Scoria. We enjoy the food God has given and the blessings of fellowship. A visitor from a different background may put a lot more spiritual weight on the opportunity to have a little cake afterwards. For them, it might be indicative of that has been offered to our God. So we need to be sensitive. What are we going to do? when God in his grace rescues people from different backgrounds and they come in and into the fellowship and they don't have 
the same understanding of the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Because at this barbecue I mentioned, it was our great niece's first birthday party. And the Muslims wouldn't even eat a birthday cake because it might not have been halal. So we need to be sensitive to our visitors who come in. How are we going to act when God in his grace rescues people from darkness? Come to that. How do we act now? Can I switch this on? How do we act now when we, 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 towards a brother or sister who struggles or we don't? Maybe it's food, maybe it's drink. Maybe it's in the music that we listen to or the films or the TV that we watch. And some people might struggle with what is, you think is okay. Maybe it's what's permissible to do on a Sunday afternoon. Maybe it's in what buildings should be visited. Are we going to let our sense of freedom ride roughshod over their sensitive consciences? Thank you, W, for that reading. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. I think the message that Paul's giving us overall is rejoice in the freedom that you have in Christ Jesus, but use your freedom for the good of others. So in this short chapter, Paul is laying down some big principles, which he develops in chapter 9. He goes on to talk about my rights as, a, as an apostle. And this is all part of his answering the question, because in chapter 10, he then goes on to, to warn them about how they live. And at the end of chapter 10, he comes to specific questions. This is what to do if you come across meat in the marketplace. This is what to do if you're invited to a friend for a meal and they offer you meat and they say, this meat has been offered to idols. So he's taking those next chapters to answer the question. And in chapter 8, he's setting the foundational principles by which actually all Christian living, all Christian relationships should be understood, of which food offered to idols is just one example. So let's turn to the passage. Chapter 8, Paul's introduction. Now about food offered to idols, as W pointed out, they were quoting, we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. The Corinthians are big on my rights. They'd got hold of a wonderful truth that we have freedom in Christ Jesus. Uh, and they, they push this forward time and again, as you can see, there's uh, the references on the screen. Chapter 6 and verse 12. Everything is permissible for me. But Paul says, not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me. But I will not be mastered by anything. And then actually in answering this question in chapter 10, verse 23 it is everything is permissible but not everything is beneficial everything is permissible but not everything is constructive nobody should seek his own good but the good of others 
So yes, the Corinthians got hold of a wonderful truth. We are free in Christ Jesus and we are liberated from bondage to rules and regulations. They knew it, they didn't really understand it. They wanted to express their freedom without considering other people. So Paul's big point in these first few verses are, you know you have freedom, do you? Don't think you're so clever. The question is, does what you know help you to love God? I think it's worth spending a little bit of time thinking about this. Maybe we have a lot of theology, some of us. We've been around for a long time. Over the years, I've had plenty of opportunity to visit and revisit lots of questions that challenge people. And this is a warning to people like me not to be self-satisfied in where the knowledge you think you've arrived at. The question is, does my increasing knowledge help me to love God more? Those who love God are known by God. In Paul's letter to the Roman Christians, he spends several chapters struggling with a theological question that he struggled with, trying to resolve how, how two things work together. And the end of his conclusion, he doesn't say, well, I've got it now. He, he says, doesn't he? I've, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? Who has ever given to the Lord that he should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul's struggling with what he knew caused him to worship. And that's what should happen to us. There might be some who are young in the faith or some who haven't yet embraced the gospel. You know the gospel. You know the truth that Christ Jesus died for sinners, that he was buried, that he was raised again for our justification, that he's gone into glory, that he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. You know that. But have you embraced it? Does your heart warm? Do you want to worship the God who did this? and the Son of God who came to earth for us. Reflect, let us, friends, let us, if we, take, if we don't go into the rest of it, just take away that we should reflect on what we know and allow it to worship God and increase in love. Because those who, are, who love God are the ones who are known by God. I think the, the scariest words in the whole Bible or somebody coming up to Jesus and saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we do great things in your name? And Jesus saying, I never knew you. So there are going to be people who think, because they know the truth of the gospel, they think they're okay, but they haven't embraced it. May that not be so for any of us here today. I look to my own heart. So, having cleared the air and saying this is how we, we want to be careful about what we think we know, we all possess knowledge. Now we're in a position, Paul says, to consider the question about food offered to idols. Or in our case, maybe what we wear, what we drink, we lose it, we listen to, what films we watch, whatever. We're in a position to think, how does that, what is our freedom? 
So then, verse 4, about eating food offered to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether heaven, heaven on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. So in this first bit, he's talking about freedom in principle. Knowing the true God sets us free from bondage to fear. We know we have the freedom. Paul's agreeing with the Corinthians. We know we have the freedom to eat anything. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it belongs to him. What is an idol? Think about Isaiah in those verses where he's, he mocks idols because they're nothing. He says they have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, they can't hear. They have feet. Not only can't they walk, they have to be nailed down so they don't topple over. Why do you put any weight on an idol, Isaiah says? He mocks them. And so, yes, they have no power to change the food. Just because you put it in front of a bit of stone, it's not going to change the food. You're no better if you eat, don't eat. Don't be afraid of unknown powers, of rules, of what you're allowed to do or not allowed to do. All things come from the Father. Isn't that a liberating thought? All things come from God and we live to him. We live to him alone. So we're no longer found, bound. And that's a wonderful and glorious truth that we can rejoice in. So the lesson is, can we... Can we do something? Can we enjoy whatever it is? Can we do it with thanksgiving and a clear conscience? Because if we can, we are free to enjoy it because the earth is the Lord's. And if we can enjoy what we do and what we eat to the glory of God, then it brings him honor. So the Corinthians, yes, you have the freedom in principle to eat food previously offered to idols because the food is just what the food is. But not everybody gets this, verse 7. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been offered to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. What do we do when our freedom, our true freedom, our genuine freedom that we can rejoice in? As Paul wrote a whole letter to the Galatians and some, sums it up in saying, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Don't be bound again in the bondage of rules and regulations. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. There's a great truth that we can rejoice in. But Paul says, what do you do when your freedom that you can enjoy clashes with somebody else's conscience? Whether you eat or you don't eat, it doesn't matter. Food doesn't bring us near to God. We're no worse if we do eat for our sight, no better if we do. So we have true freedom. Do you understand true freedom? True freedom isn't freedom just to do what you want always. True freedom is freedom to not do what you want. Ask the addict. 
says, I'm free to drink as much as I like, but I'll always exercise our freedom to drink. You're only truly free if you're also able to exercise your freedom not to do what you want to do. Then you're free. And that's what Paul's saying. You don't have to eat. True freedom means being free not to eat or not to listen or not to go to films or whatever it is. So he says, be careful, however, that in the exercise of your rights, your freedoms, your liberties, does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? Well, how does that work? Because Paul, we've just mentioned um, Galatians, Paul spent the whole of the letter explaining to people that they shouldn't be under legalistic bondage. And here he's saying, if someone doesn't want to do it, you should give in to them. Is that the same as giving in to legalism? I'd like to try and, um, try and clarify the difference, why it's different with a little illustration. Um, I, enjoy, I enjoy going for a, a belly board, as many of you know, but I'm very much a fair weather man. Uh, I go in the summer when the sun's shining. And quite often I'll, I'll go, I'll stop in the midst of, of, of a couple of good runs and I'll stop and I'll lift my heart to the Lord and I'll say, Lord, thank you for, for the wonderful privilege of being able to enjoy this being able to enjoy your creation uh, and the ability to do it. I hope we do that when we enjoy God's good gifts. Just stop and give him thanks. So, you know, believe it or not, you can go belly boarding to the glory of God. You can do that. But backtrack a bit for when I was very little. We were in a, in a church which was quite restrictive and very had lots of rules and regulations. And... Um, Sunday afternoons, no way could you go to the beach, let alone go for a swim. It was okay to walk along the cliff top and you could look down and people on the beach, but you couldn't go on the beach yourself. Now, if I, I wasn't a teenager at that stage, if I'd been a teenager at that stage and gone for a swim on a Sunday afternoon, uh, the elders would have had words with me. Is that the same as Paul saying here? No, that's legalism. There's no way those elders would have looked at me and thought, well, Tim's going for a swim, and I don't think I should, but I will. They were imposing their rules and do's and don'ts, what is allowed. You can walk on the cliff top, you can't walk along the bottom of the cliff because that's on the beach. That's legalism. But now to clarify what Paul's saying here, let's say someone comes into the fellowship who say, you just call her Grace, this young, young woman called Grace, who's big on swimming and spent her life doing swimming competitions, spent, before she came to the Lord, spent Sunday, whole day Sunday with a swimming club and cronies and spending time in the sea. And she comes to the Lord and she says, I want to spend time with God's people on the Sunday. So I'm not going to go swimming on a Sunday. Now, if she saw me with my freedom and liberty to go swimming on a Sunday afternoon to the glory of God, 
But she saw that, she might think, oh, Tim thinks it's okay, maybe I can go swimming. And she'd be doing it against her conscience because for her, that would be going back into what she'd left behind. Not there's anything wrong with swimming, but for her, it was such a big thing that she would have to, didn't want to go back into it. And her conscience would be spoiled. And well, Paul uses a strong word. So this week, brother or sister, verse 11, for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. Now, it doesn't mean eternal destruction, obviously, because God keeps those whom he saves. But you know what it's like if you're, you're working against your conscience, you lose your joy in the Lord, you lose your effectiveness in service because your conscience is troubling you and your life and effectiveness for the Lord is compromised. So Paul says, verse 13, Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so I will not cause them to fall. You might think that's, that's quite a challenge, isn't it? Sorry, should have gone on to practice. Freedom in practice. Well, let's just review this. Freedom in practice. Sets us free from bondage to freedom. We don't have to express our freedom, which is what we've just been looking at. But what is our motive for this? Verse 12. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. What a massive motivation that is to love one another. Now I'm going to do something which I didn't pick up from Wellesley. I was planning to do it anyway, but Wellesley did it last week. He said, look around. So look around literally or in your head and think about the person you don't speak to very often. Think about the person who's annoyed you or irritated you. Think about the person that you don't have much to do with because they don't relate to you and think they're a brother or sister in Christ for them. Christ died. How can I not do my utmost for their good? And if it means denying myself, do so. We don't want to stumble anyone, brothers or sisters. So how do we do that today? These principles, as we've said, apply to more than idle food. Let's think about in what ways we can be sensitive to other people's conscience. Do we put our rights, our liberties, our freedom, which are genuine to be enjoyed before the Lord? Not because we don't have freedom, but we have the freedom to deny ourselves the freedom for the sake of others. Because Christ gave up his freedom for us, didn't he? Let's read Philippians chapter 2. You know the passage. Christ who gave up his freedom. How does Paul say it? Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus 
who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We have such a wonderful example, one who gave up his freedoms, that we might have freedom, that we might gave up his life, that we might have life. Friends, this word of God speaks to each one of us. Just think about how do we use our knowledge? Do we use it to learn to love God more? Do we embrace the truth that we know in our head? Do we embrace it well enough to love others more than we love the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus for their sake, for their good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we stand in awe of your word. We, we both rejoice in the freedom because Christ has set us free. and We don't want to be bound again by rules and regulations. But Father, we are your servants. We are bound to serve one another because in serving one another, we serve Christ Jesus. And who better to serve but the one who gave his life that we might live. So Lord, we pray for each one of us. Your spirit might apply this word and your truth to our own lives, both now and in the coming week, whether we are long-term knowing your grace or whether we're still learning what it means to put our trust in you. Father, open our hearts to receive your truth and to rejoice in Christ Jesus, in whose name we ask it. Amen.